1: The world of online dating and dating apps have opened up a potentially vast network of possible matches. But as technology changes and expectations for what makes a good partner change, the dating landscape can be even trickier to navigate. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post reporter and producer of this podcast, Tyler Dawson, joins me to discuss how the language of dating has changed, what challenges single Canadians face, and why it leads to some people feeling lonelier than before. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I would love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tyler, we're in the midst of the holiday season, and with the holiday season comes lots of talk about dating. You know, whether it comes to who you're taking to the New Year's Eve party you're going to, or if you're visiting family over the holidays, Some single people may be bound to get the question. So why aren't you seeing someone or have you met somebody nice? There's a lot of talk about your romantic life around this time of year for better or for worse. But when it comes to actually meeting somebody, sparking a relationship, finding that special someone, it's a little more tricky than than I think people may think, I guess for starters, I'm curious, you know, to get a picture of what things are like in Canada, how many single people are there in this country?
0: Yeah, there's a lot. Um, it, it's probably the largest number of single people, sort of ever. Um, I think if you if you look at statistics, Canada numbers, there's 15 million single Canadians. Um, that's actually more single Canadians than it is married Canadians. Um, although if you add in common law people, there's 3.8 million in common law. Um, so that'll that'll take you over that 15 million number. But I mean, that's a lot of single people. Um, of course that within that data there's a little bit of wiggle room, of course, because you don't say on you know the census that you've been, you know, seeing someone for six months or a year or something like that, you know, it's sort of common law or married or the sort of big pot of, of single people. Um, but it's you know, when I was writing the piece, I thought a lot about, you know, the phrase there's Plenty of fish in the sea, and yeah, I mean, there there actually are. Um, there's eight million single men, and there's seven million single women, give or take uh, a couple hundred thousand in there. So there's there's a lot of us out there.
1: Yeah, but I I mean, I wonder for those who are are looking for a relationship, just because there's a lot of single people out there, doesn't mean that it's necessarily so easy to go and meet somebody. I assume in that 15 million people, as you say, there may be some who are considered dating or, or not necessarily quote unquote on the market, but also in that 15 million, there have to be people who have kind of said, well, I don't know. I'm not really looking for anything right now. Like, is, is there a sense that people are turning away from more serious pairings off?
0: I think you do see some sort of social and cultural commentary that, that gets at that. Um, and so anecdotally, I think it's that's true to some extent. Um, you know, in, in my life, I do have some friends and family who are women who are just like, men are a nightmare. And I just, you know, can't be bothered. So they've sort of decided they'd rather rather be on their own um but uh it, it's hard to say how much people are, are fully sort of turning away from it um you know i think you can look at sort of the increasing numbers in single people but it's really hard to say i think whether or not that's sort of by choice or if it's by bad luck or or what you know precisely is going on there because i mean the dynamics have changed so much in the last couple decades the way we date has changed so much in, so much in the last couple decades um and, you know, the older you get, the pickier you are and, and all those sorts of things. So I think there's a lot of different factors at play here.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you you did mention something interesting and you talk about it in your piece, some of the women in your life who you know, who have kind of said men are a nightmare. And I don't want to generalize. I would like to think I'm not a nightmare. I You seem perfectly pleasant. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ask my ex-girlfriend, Dave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so like this idea that, there are maybe some deficits for men when it comes to attracting women. And there have been some pieces written and, and they garnered, I think, a lot of controversy this year. And I think maybe the piece that you wrote for the National Post was sparked by one of those pieces. There was essentially an argument that was, that was made that uh, women have maybe raised their standards for what they want from men when it comes to being emotionally available or psychologically mature. And I'm, I'm wondering how does that factor into it? How do kind of changing standards when it comes to what people want or expect out of a relationship factor into the fact that we have 15 million single people in this country?
0: Right. So the piece you're referencing was in Psychology Today back in August, I think, and it sort of went viral. And it was written by a couples and family psychologist from Los Angeles. And you're right. He basically said that there's there's a relationship skills gap between men and women in terms of communication skills uh, emotional availability things like that and and that women are i think the quote was increasingly selective when it came to finding partners and you know the, the reason that matters a little bit for men is that you know of a certain generation probably you know the generation that we're a part of we were not necessarily Taught a lot of these things as young people, you know, as sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, and you know suck it up and be tough and stuff like that and so, when it comes to some of the uh, intimacy skills or vulnerability skills that people are looking for in partners, um it might just be that men are sort of coming to the battlefield a little bit less well equipped and the argument in this piece is that unless men sort of catch up, they're going to be single for a long time now the Academic literature on that is not quite so clear. Um, you know, it, it's not entirely clear that there's this massive skills gap between men and women when it comes to to relationships. Um, but if there is a gap, you know, it, it is also possible that that gap hasn't actually narrowed. You know, maybe men have become more emotionally sophisticated in the last ten or twenty years, but women perhaps have too, and so the gap itself hasn't lessened even if, you know, everyone is um, a little bit better off. So I, I do think there's some truth to these things, uh, you know, again, sort of anecdotally, but, uh, and it's just part of the way the dating world has changed and the way we understand relationships and stuff like that. So there's a couple different dynamics here for sure.
1: Yeah. And when you talk about the idea that people may be coming to relationships or the the dating world, a little more equipped than they used to be. What kind of things are we talking about? Like what kind of what kind of expectations are people putting on relationships or what are they hoping to find in partners now that perhaps 15 20 years ago wasn't exactly top of mind.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, the biggest sort of factor in all of this, which is not exactly your question, is just that women don't need a partner anymore. You know, when our grandparents were getting together, um it was a very very different world. And and it was much less common for women to be single and have, you know, prospering careers and things like that. So so that is like a huge, huge factor, just that no one needs it sort of um, societally in, in the same way. But, you know, there are, you know, if you're on dating apps or dating, there's there's a lot of stuff that people are looking for, kind of like checklists to some extent. And, you know, it's, it's not just that they want you to be tall and handsome, um, but there's people are coming in sort of equipped with a list of like values that they want to know about. They might have their own sort of five year plan where they want to live, whether or not they want to have kids um, and and whether or not, the, you know, the person across the coffee shop table from them sort of shares that vision for their life. Um, and so it's a bit of a it's an interesting dynamic. And so I talked to a couple um, sort of couples therapists about this, and and they said, you know, to some extent, when you come in with this checklist, you're you're looking for someone that you can sort of press into the mold that you've already got got set out. And that can actually sort of impair the building of connection between two people who sort of work on these things and compromise and and find a middle ground where they can make the relationship work but um but there does seem to be i think the sense out there that that people know exactly what they want and you know obviously leads to some degree of unhappiness and relationship conflict when uh, when it when it's hard to find that or when you're in a relationship with someone who has a very strong vision for what they want and you're perhaps trying to fit that vision um, and things like that. So, so that's, I think another, another part of this is just the the sense that people maybe really know what they want. It's not a bad thing by any means, but it does perhaps leave you less open to sort of new or varied romantic experiences.
1: Yeah, And I'm curious, how much does online dating play into that? And I, I'm not trying to, to ask this question in, terms of like, oh, online dating is terrible because, you know, it seems to be the norm nowadays and you hear all sorts of success stories of people meeting their soulmate or their their long-term partner through these online channels, but does it impact the ability to kind of make a natural human connection when people have this kind of checklist in their profile of what they want. And then when they're looking at their matches that they're being very selective, that these profiles have all of these things in it as well.
0: Yes. I mean, one of the, I think positives of online dating is it does allow you to sort of screen people out relatively easily. You know, if someone has a a photo of them posing with a gun or hunting or something like that, and, and that's if you're a vegan, um, you know, there's a pretty good chance that relationship's not gonna work out. So it, it's it's nice and useful, I think, in, in that sense to be able to screen people out um quite easily. I mean, on the flip side, it can also be a relatively shallow way of screening people. Um, you don't know anything about them, but you can tell right off the bat whether or not you're attracted to them. Um, but of course, you know, photos aren't always representative and you never know what you'll feel when you meet someone in person. So there's there's that dynamic of it. Um, the Other sort of positive of it, though, is of course you're getting access to a pool of people that you might not, you know, necessarily ever come across. Um, You know, Tinder, for example, one of the maybe the biggest dating app. You can set uh, like a global functions. You can swipe on people anywhere in the world. I mean, I have no idea how many people have met their soulmate uh, living on the other in another hemisphere, but but the you know the potential exists. But then sort of from one of the Psychologist I talked to, therapists I talked to said that people, the men she works with often come into dating apps kind of excited. They go, you know, look, I've got this, this huge pool of people, all of, you know, there's lots of fish in the sea. That's great. I'm going to get lots of matches. That's, you know, very validating and makes me feel good. But, you know, on the flip side is you're also exposed in addition to this sort of constant or semi-regular validation you're also exposed to relatively consistent rejection, um, because you may be swiping on a number of people, you may be talking to a number of people at once, you may be going on multiple dates in the course of a week or a month. And obviously, those aren't all gonna work out. Um, some of those are gonna be your choice, but but the the pace of it in some ways does seem to allow for a lot of rejection, and that can be uh disheartening, I think, for for both men and women when when they sort of see what's out there, what they're attracted to, and then, you know, have to consider what they're stacking up against because um, whoever they're swiping on also has access to however many hundreds or thousands or millions of of potential dates.
1: We'll be right back. You mentioned that people who are using these apps, you know, they have access to way more possible partners, but at the same time, they're also exposed to a lot more rejection. Did any of the people, counselors you spoke to for this piece kind of talk about what that does to a person's outlook on relationships?
0: Well, I don't think anyone talked about it sort of specifically, but, but certainly there is the sense that you are it's very much a rat race, and that there are lots of people out there, and you're competing against lots of people for for attention and there's you know a level of superficiality I think on dating apps that you know might get in the way of you know it could be a very different situation if you ran into someone at you know a Christmas party or something like that um and and the the thing about it that a couple people mentioned is. Who do you go to for support and advice on this? You know, a fat load of good it does to say, hey, mom and dad, I'm feeling kind of down. <laughs> Nobody likes me this week. I went on a bunch of crappy dates and they ghosted me or whatever. And you know, what do they say? They might have met their partner at at church or at a social club or something like that. Like the 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 landscape of it is just so, so different from what previous generations went through. And in some ways that's a good thing for sure. Um, but there is sort of this this disconnect, uh, in terms of who there is to seek support from or talk these things through with other than, other than your peers, um, which is good and bad. I mean, I have very few other single people, for example, in my friend group. So, you know, talking to them about things like this is a real challenge. Cause I mean, they've all been with their partners for like five or 10 years and um, they don't have a, they don't have a clue what it's like.
1: Yeah. And and I'm curious, you know, the, one of the byproducts of this, the fact that we have more single people and that perhaps the, the way that the dating landscape has changed has created more isolation. Does that mean that you have a people who are feeling more
0: isolated or more lonely in their lives? Well, there's actually relatively good data on loneliness. Um, Statistics Canada actually does like a loneliness survey. And so the the data that I looked at for the story from September 2021, it it showed that 21.4% of the people who are not in a relationship reported often or always feeling lonely. And that number was a little bit higher for women. 22.7% 22.7% of women felt that way and 19.8% of men felt this way. So like those are big numbers, those are really really big numbers and there's again a couple other factors in all of this. You know, there's there's talk every sort of few years it seems about declining numbers of close friendships for example, particularly among men. So that's a factor here and then there's also um I don't know if one would say it's a theory or or you know how sort of rooted in the science this is but but you can look to something like the opioid crisis and substance use sort of in general as symptoms of a bit of a loneliness crisis um you know the idea being that if you're not getting you know sort of social support and love from people in your life people turn to sort of chemical varieties of that. So so there's an argument to be made that, you know, a lot of these like major, major social problems that we have can be sort of traced back, you know, not necessarily to, to people being miserable and single, but to a sort of epidemic of loneliness. And loneliness, you know, even aside from some of those acute issues, you know, whether that's you've been dumped and you're sitting in a bar drinking your face off, um, but it also has sort of long-term consequences. Again, the data is relatively good that People who are married um, live a little bit longer. People who are divorced or get divorced are at quite a bit higher risk of early death. you know, data from the United States shows that married men live 2.2 years longer than unmarried men, and married women live 1.5 years longer than unmarried women. Um, and you know, to some extent, that's sort of the the emotional well-being aspect of it. To some extent, that's you know, your partner noticing a strange mole on your back that wasn't there before, so you make it to the doctor in time. Um, again, a bunch of different factors here, but but you know, that that singleness can lead to loneliness, not in every case, obviously. And and there are certainly um, personal and societal costs of, of that loneliness.
1: And so, you know, it, it seems bleak in a lot of different ways you look at it, right? And, and I don't think that was the intent of your piece, nor the intent of, of this conversation. But I, I'm wondering, you know, what do experts say to people to help navigate these challenges? Or I can't imagine it's a bad thing to to have high standards to look for an ideal partner, but how do you kind of find your way through that?
0: Well, you know, it, it's relatively clear from the research that people who are in a romantic relationship are better off. They're higher in well-being than the average person who's single. But that doesn't actually tell us everything because a lot of people look at that and say, oh, God, well, I've got got to find a girlfriend to be happy but what the what the data probably really shows is that people who are happy and prospering sort of end up in relationships you know it's a bit of a catch 22 i mean where do you start right so that's i think sort of like the takeaway message um in a lot of ways is that if you can build you know a meaningful and purposeful and happy life on your own you're going to be a much more attractive partner and a better partner down the road too. So you know that's sort of the subtext to this whole thing. And one of the other aspects of the piece that is sort of adjacent to this, but really plays into it quite strongly, is just sort of the sort of the the proliferation of um, I guess you could say sort of self help information, and that's on social media. It's all over social media in, in bite sized pieces, and you know some of it is very much pop psychology. But a lot of it is relatively good and straightforward advice about, you know, looking at some of your own behaviors or relationship patterns to figure out how to be a better partner. There's tools to help you sort of figure out what you want in life, what you want from a partner, you know, what some of your weaknesses are as a potential partner. And, you know, these are all things, there's a lot, I think, that people can do while they're single. There's there's a therapist um, named John Kim in the United States who writes a lot about this, and, and he I mean, it's super cliche, but he always says that being single is when you have sort of the richest soil for growth. And from what I can tell from the people that I talk to, doing that growing when you're single puts you in, you know, sort of the best possible position to to find yourself a relationship someday. I mean, that's a lot more work maybe than sitting and swiping on Tinder while you're, you know, on the toilet or on the bus or, or you know, waiting for your for your beer to arrive but uh, that might be sort of the the pathway to sort of more long-term happiness, whether you're on your own or if you find someone.
1: Well, it's a fascinating discussion. I know uh, best of luck to all those out there looking to find an ideal match. Tyler, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Tyler for also appearing on this episode. You can find more from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.